so I was journaling. Ken, I do want this on the, on, the, um, on the film. I know that it's kind of an intro, but I want this word to go out to the people that are going to be hearing this. On Saturday, Kent and I went for a beautiful bike ride. We took time and we went out. We love to ride our bikes and we found a new, well, it's a, we found it about a year ago, but a new trail for us. And it is gorgeous. For those of you who might want to find it, it's called the Clinton River Parks Trail. It follows the Clinton River through Utica, through downtown Utica, and, and it ends up over in Dodge Park and by 16 Mile, and it's all along the river and it's in the woods, up and down, curves, hills, just gorgeous. And Saturday morning, um, we went early because we knew it was going to be hot and the sun was shining, but we were in the shade most of the time. And in the midst of that, where I, I was just, like I always do, looking at the beauty of where we were. That's one of the reasons we love to ride bike. And I was seeing these beautiful woods and beautiful trees and enjoying the shade. But then the rays of sun were coming through. And the beauty of the, just that sun just poking through the trees. And I was you know, paying attention to all that. Well, the next morning, I wrote a whole bunch in my journal. But this is what Father God spoke to me. I always put his words to me in quotes. And this is what I felt like he was saying. He said, I give you the beautiful, glorious forest with towering, majestic trees, shade, light filtering through with warmth and beauty. Yet, you keep your eyes downcast, looking for poison ivy, trying to avoid the itch. Look up, child. Don't you know? Have you not seen? I am your protector, your healer, your shalom. Look to me and see the beauty of my good plan and purpose. So I, it really caught my attention because I was enjoying the beauty. But then he said, your eyes are downcast. You're looking for that poison ivy. You want to avoid the itch. Well, he's, he knows, you know, what has been in my life this spring because we spent a lot of time at the cottage during the COVID quarantine when everything was completely shut down here in our area because our cottage is in a really super safe area and it was a safe haven. We just went and just enjoyed this beautiful lake house we have, but we did a lot of outdoor work. And there's one hill that has been covered with brush and vines and stuff. It was early, early spring. There was no growth yet. So we, were clean, we decided we're going to clean this hill off. Well, that hill was covered with poison ivy. I have had poison ivy four times this spring. And believe me, I keep my eyes looking for that poison ivy because I'm avoiding the itch, right? And um, so God's speaking to me in these big terms, you know, it, using what he knows I'm going to pay attention to. He said, don't look for those things. Don't keep your eyes downcast. This, I believe, is a word for all of us right now because there's so much going on, so many um, negative things, so many frightening things, so many not just with COVID but also with our economy and also with the politics and also with um, uh, relationships and differences of opinions. And there's a whole lot going on in our world right now. And I felt like God is saying, keep your eyes off of all of those things and look up, child. And then yesterday, this is the word that 
just spoke volumes in my heart. I'm going to have Kent put it up on the screen. It's from Isaiah 55, and I'm reading it from the NLT. God says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. I want to look at two words in this scripture. The first word is thoughts. That word thoughts means thoughts, plans, and purposes. God says, my thoughts, Cindy, my thoughts for you are so much more. My thoughts, my plans, my purposes for you are so much higher than yours. And then he says, my ways, ways refers to paths, directions, and manner. He said, Cindy, my paths for you, my directions for you, and the manner that I'm going to get it to you is so much higher than yours. I think he was encouraging me to look up, look up and keep my eyes on him, keep my focus off of the, the, what's going on in, in life right now. Because he has a really good plan and directions and purpose and a way to get that to us. Should we choose to look up and not to keep our eyes downcast for whatever that issue of life is? So that leads me to this message. And it's actually going to be, I believe, a series um, of messages that is about spiritual laws. I'm not talking about old covenant laws. I'm talking about new covenant spiritual laws. The title of the, the um, um, series is Laws of the Kingdom of God. Laws of the Kingdom of God. We reside in the Kingdom of God. The Kingdom of God resides in us because Jesus is in us and Jesus is the royal ruler of the Kingdom of God. He's king of our kingdom. So the purpose of this series is for us to understand truths about the kingdom of God, truths about the spiritual laws in the kingdom of God that give us the opportunity to live an abundant life, that give us the opportunity to look up and do it God's way, see from God's perspective. So let's talk about the kingdom of God for just a second. First of all, there are two interchangeable terms in the Bible, kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven are interchangeable terms. Um, this, I have to give credit to this, a lot of the um, uh, truths and the revelations that are deep in me, I have to give credit to, of course, God's word and God's Holy Spirit, but also Karis Bible College. Um, Barry Bennett taught a series that I, I allowed to go through me entitled Laws of the Kingdom. So a lot of this comes from Barry Bennett's teaching. So I want to give that credit. But the kingdom of God, this is my definition. The kingdom of God refers to the royal power and authority of King Jesus to destroy the kingdom of darkness and to advance his kingdom twofold. It's the royal power and authority of King Jesus to destroy the enemy's plan, and to propel, to allow God's good will and purpose to come into being. But the key is we're part of the kingdom now. 
Jesus said, you'll do even greater things than me. We have the kingdom authority. That's who we are. We are the king's kids, and we carry the kingdom authority. So that's why I think it's very important for us to know the spiritual laws of the kingdom so that we can um, know them and allow them to work in our lives in a very positive way. People perish from lack of knowledge. So we're going to look specifically at four or five laws, spiritual laws, that directly apply to healing, that directly apply to receiving the promises of God. And of course, this applies to any promise, but this is a healing class. So we're going to zero in on the promise of healing. I'm going to read two scriptures about the kingdom of God. The first one is John chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. So this is the account where Nicodemus comes to Jesus. And Nicodemus, the high priest, one of the highest of the high priests, he was a rabbi, he was a learned man. He knew the old covenant law. He knew the law of Moses. And yet he saw something different in Jesus. He didn't teach like the other rabbis taught. He taught as one with authority. So Nicodemus came to Jesus, and he's asking him about about who sent him and, and what his mission is. And he's just delving deep and talking to Jesus. And this is what Jesus told Nicodemus. He said, I assure you, and most solemnly I say to you, Unless a person is born again, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, sanctified, he cannot ever see and experience the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, well, how can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter his mother's womb a second time and be born, can he? Jesus said, I assure you and most solemnly I tell you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot ever enter the kingdom of God. We know that when we receive Jesus into our life, we're transferred out of the kingdom of darkness. We're transferred into the kingdom of God, into the kingdom of the Son of his light, out of darkness, into light. And that's what Jesus was telling Nicodemus. He said, this is what I came to do. I'm King Jesus. Nicodemus didn't know that yet. And this is my plan. And it was great news. But Nicodemus was so blinded with religion, so blinded with the, the old covenant law, that he just didn't, he couldn't comprehend it. Another scripture I want to share about kingdom of God. This is Luke 17, verse 21. Now, having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed or with a visible display, nor will people say, look, here it is, or there it is, for the kingdom of God is among you because of my presence. Can you imagine what the Pharisees must have thought when Jesus said that? They're asking about a worldly kingdom. They're asking when the new king will come that will free them from the Roman Empire that they were um, um, underneath, that they were vassals of at that time. They wanted out. They wanted freedom. They were children of God. They were from Israel. They wanted to live free. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is here among you because my presence is here and among you. 
In another translation, it says the kingdom of God is in you. This is where we live now. As daughters and sons of the living God, we live in the kingdom of God. Jesus is among us. Jesus dwells in us. So we're going to talk over the next few weeks about the spiritual laws in this kingdom. So let's talk a little bit about what makes up a kingdom. There are three major facets of any kingdom. And the first is a king. We're talking about the kingdom of God, so our king is King Jesus. This is one of my favorite ways to praise God, to praise Jesus. Say, King Jesus, I praise you. I acknowledge you as my king, my lord, my master. And and I just love to just give him that title, my king, King Jesus. So every kingdom has a king, and King Jesus is our king. Every kingdom also has subjects. We're his subjects. Subjects are under the king's authority and under the king's protection. Subjects owe their allegiance and their devotion to their king. That's who we are. We are protected by Jesus. We are under the authority of King Jesus. We give him our allegiance and our devotion. So every kingdom has a king, it has subjects, and it also has a government, a rule, a a way of ruling, a way of governing. That's what we're going to look at in the next few weeks. We are going to look specifically at spiritual laws, because this is a spiritual kingdom. We're going to look at spiritual laws, and here's a definition of spiritual laws. A truth, a spiritual law is a truth that is eternal, that governs creation and establishes order and a foundation for living in this kingdom. The spiritual laws will always function, whether we're even aware of them or not. Underneath the laws are the principles, the guiding principles of the laws. The laws we're going to talk about, I'm going to show them to you in Scripture, but the principles are what really affect us because the principles are the declarations of what that law means. The principles are the revelation of how that law applies to our life and how that law can enrich our life because Jesus came to give us a life of abundance. But in order for us to live a life of abundance, he has set in place the spiritual laws. Spiritual laws will govern your life one way or the other. But God's principles can teach you how to live effectively in the context of the spiritual laws. Now this statement, this next statement is on your handout, and I want to read it as is because it, is, it, it packs a punch. Listen to this. I'm going to repeat the definition of the laws. The laws of the kingdom of God are eternal. They govern creation, and they establish order and a foundation for living, but they do not control us. We may be be a citizen of the kingdom of God, but not even look like we belong to the kingdom of God. So here we are, king's kids. Here we are with the king's inheritance. 
And it is an amazing inheritance. We have talked and, and shared the levels of our inheritance, the benefits of being a child of God. It is amazing. But many people, many Christians, don't look like that. They don't look like they're a king's kid. They don't look like they're rich in health, rich in provision, rich in love, rich in healthy relationships. It's because they don't realize these amazing spiritual laws and they're not applying them to their lives. I want to give you a natural example of that. I'm going to be sharing a lot of my kids' stories tonight. I didn't realize until last night how many of my kids' stories I'm sharing tonight. So hopefully my children are okay with this. <laughs> the first one is about Adam. Adam is our middle son. He's 37 years old. Um, the law that I'm going to be referring to in, when I tell this story is the laws of the, of the driving. We have driving laws, safety laws, for a good reason. They're there to keep us safe, to keep us um, um, not harming ourselves, not harming others, and so that we can travel and get to where we need to go with ease. Well, my son, when he was, I, uh, he was 21 or older, but not much older, um, he got a ticket for DUI, driving under the influence. And I got a phone call in the middle of the night from jail, from Adam, from jail. And let me tell you, my mama's heart was broken. There was a law for my son not to do that. My son broke the law and he paid the consequences. He paid a lot of consequences. The first one was a night in jail, but there were a whole lot more consequences than that. There was a lot of money involved. There were fines, big, big fines. There were lawyer fees. He was on probation for a long time. There were a lot of consequences of him not living under that law of the, of the land, not, uh, not adhering to it. But let me tell you what happened. Something changed that night. My son has never, to my knowledge, ever taken one sip of alcohol and driven since then. He comes to our home for dinner frequently, and we offer him a glass of wine. We offer him a beer. He will not take one sip because he's driving. He learned something valuable. It was life-changing for him. He is a safe, safe driver. In fact, out of my three children, I think Adam is the best driver, the safest driver out of all three. He realized that when he chose to adhere to the principles of the law of the land, it benefited him and it keeps him safe. It keeps his wife safe. It keeps other people safe on the road. And he has, it was, it was a powerful, powerful learning tool for him. That's just a natural example. I want to read a scripture now from Isaiah that shows, this is an Old Testament scripture, but it shows the, the uh, consequences that can happen if we choose not to adhere to laws. Now, this is Old Covenant law, and we're not talking about Old Covenant law, but I still think this is a valuable scripture to read. The earth also is polluted by its inhabitants because they have transgressed laws, violated statutes, and broken the everlasting covenant. 
Can't you see that today? The earth is polluted by its inhabitants. And a lot of those inhabitants are born-again children of God who live under the law of the spirit of life. And yet, they don't look like it. And our land is polluted because of our transgressions of a lot of these spiritual laws. So we're going to delve in now to two of them tonight, two of these spiritual laws. And, oh, Holy Spirit, I just thank you ahead of time that when we talk about the laws of the kingdom of God, we see with joy these provisions that you've made for us, these God gifts that you've given us. And I pray, Father, that our hearts are ready to receive and apply the, the principles of these spiritual laws into our lives and reap the benefits as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. The first one I want to talk about is the royal law of love. I'm going to give you the scripture, a scripture, that talks about this royal law of love, and then we're going to break it down a little bit. James 2.8. Your calling, my calling, is to fulfill the royal law of love as given to us in the scripture. You must love and value your neighbor as you love and value yourself. For keeping this law is the noble way to live. The word noble means outstanding qualities. If you choose to live, because we have a choice, God's given us a free will. If we choose to live following the royal law of love, loving others, loving God and loving others, we will have excellent, outstanding qualities rise up in our lives and around us. The benefits will be powerful. They'll be great. So we're going to talk about three principles of this law of love, three things that God wants us to know, declarations that he desires for us to have revelation in our heart because they're life-changing. And the first one, God is love. God is love. 1 John 4, verse 7 and 8. Those who are loved by God let his love continually pour from you to one another because God is love. Everyone who loves is fathered by God and experiences an intimate knowledge of him. The one who doesn't love has yet to know God for God is love. When we receive Jesus into our lives, when the spirit of Jesus comes in, when we invite him in at our salvation, the nature of God comes into us. And part of his nature is his love. The love of God becomes part of us when we receive God and when we receive Jesus as our savior. The kind of love that God loves with, it's agape love. There are a lot of kinds of love in the world. There are friendship loves, there's motherly love, there's, there's um, uh, sensual love, there's many different kinds of love. But agape love, God's kind of love, is only yours, is only mine, when God is in me. So we receive God's love within us when we're, when we're born again. 
the evidence of our salvation is this love. You know, many of us have prayed a prayer of salvation, and then, like, did it work? Did it take? Am I really saved? This love test, this, this love of God that comes in you and pours out of you is one amazing evidence of that new birth. Only those who are born of God can manifest this God's kind of love. 1 John 3.14 Yet we can be assured that we have been translated from spiritual death and into spiritual life because we love the family of believers. A loveless life remains spiritually dead. Now, that love, God's kind of love, is planted in us. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. But it develops through relationship with God. As you come into relationship with God, who is love, come to know him personally, that love, that revelation, that, that ability to manifest Jesus through manifesting love, grows. And it grows. And it grows. In this ministry, our ministry team, I'm looking at a lot of you right now, you manifest love. It's not just praying for healing. If, and this is what Corinthians 13 says. If we lay hands on you for healing, but we don't have love, it's nothing. The manifest, the manifest presence of Jesus through his love is where the power is. We're going to talk about that in just a second. I want to share a couple of examples that God brought to my memory when I was thinking about this truth that when we're born again, God's love comes into us and his desire is for us to live in the spiritual law, to allow that love to come in us and work through us. We don't have to. We don't have to. No relationship, no prayer life, no fellowship with believers, and you're probably going to look like everybody else in the world. You're probably going to sound like everybody else in the world. You're probably not going to be very loving. But when you are in relationship, when you are in fellowship, when you are allowing the word to feed you, when you are worshiping and praising, when you are intimate with your God, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and Holy Spirit, love is the byproduct so I'm going to give you a couple of examples. Um, about 10 years ago, our daughter, uh, Megan, our youngest daughter, um, got really, really angry at Kent and I. And she had a good reason. Megan had a lot of physical and emotional um, sicknesses. Um, uh, so the physical sicknesses and emotional concerns. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but a lot of stuff. And she'd come and talk to me about it. And I'm a woman of faith, and I'm a healing minister, right? So my first response was to stop her so she wasn't speaking the negative. So she would tell me a little bit. I would stop her. I would give her truth, good news from the word, and then I would pray with her. And that was my pattern of helping my daughter. And about maybe we'd been doing that process for several years, and then she just got very angry. 
and she had a good talk with us. It was good. I'm glad she came and talked to us. And she said, Mom, you, that's not what I need. I need a mom who will listen to me. You're not listening to me. She was hurt. She was wounded. She didn't think I was cared. She didn't think I cared. And I realized I'd been hurting my daughter and didn't even know it. So I, I went to God. I, I listened to my daughter. We had a good talk. It was a late at night talk. So I went to bed that night and I got up in the morning. I just talking to God, God, what do I do? You know, how do I proceed? What do I do? And he gave me two directions. The first direction was ask your daughter for her forgiveness. And the second, just love her to life. That's the royal law of love. You don't have to preach her to life. You don't have to give her scripture. You can be scripture. You can be the living epistle. You can pray for her. You can make declarations over her in your prayer closet. You don't have to do it face to face. So from that day on, this is about 10 years ago, from that day on, I changed everything with my daughter. I listened to her. It's hard. Sometimes it's really hard because she tells me lots of negative things. And um, it's hard for me to feed my heart with the negative things that my daughter's talking to me about. But at least I know how to pray. And then I love her. I empathize with her. I, I hug her. I love her. I just do the best that I can to just love her. Because God said, just love her to life. Then about a year ago, I was, I've been praying for my daughter for many, many years. And she's had lots and lots and lots of healing over the last 10 years. Praise you, Jesus. But about a, a year ago, I was speaking over her like I do constantly. And I, I stopped and I said, God, I so desire for Megan to know your love personally. And this is what he said. He said, she does. She knows my love through you because you're loving her with my love. She does know my love. She is experiencing my love. And it just melted my heart because that's my heart's desire. And God was encouraging me and saying, it's okay, Cindy. She does know my love through you. That's the royal law of love. My second example just happened this week. Um, Kent and I are at a very amazing time of our lives. We are um, downsizing our home and we're building a new home. And we're very excited about it. Um, but the home that we live in is a beautiful home that I have grown to know Jesus in. When we moved into that house, I had no relationship with God. I was diagnosed with cancer living in this house. I fell in love with Jesus. I got healed from cancer. I have praised and worshipped and prayed and read the word by the mil well, maybe not millions of hours, by the thousands of hours in this home. And the Holy Spirit is saturating every breath of my home. It's just an amazing home. So my prayer, I have no problem leaving that home because my new house is going to be just the same, right? But my prayer, my heart's desire was to have that home go to somebody who would walk in and just know that God was everywhere and to just be able to say, oh yeah, this is going to be my home. I just couldn't wait to pass it on, right? But that's not what happened. The buyers of our home 
are, I, I, I don't know they're not Christian. I don't know that for a fact. But it appears that they are, well, I know that they're from Bangladesh. And they um, wear the, the, the cultural garb. They're not wearing American garb. Um, and the mother doesn't speak English. The daughter, who's 21, does. She's going to U of M, and she's in a very uh, uh, biomedical kind of field kind of thing. And so when um, I saw them and saw what, they, you know, what their appearance was, my first response was, God, I wanted my home to go to a Christian. And I was, uh, I was very disturbed. But the price was good. They, uh, my, my prayer to God was, God, I pray for you know, a, a buyer that will, with a, a, a fair price, fair for them, fair for us, you know, so that was part of my prayer, and it was, it was a fair price, and, and so we, we decided to go ahead and, and sign the contract. Well, last week, we invited them to come to our home. Up till now, it had been just realtor to realtor. We hadn't met them. We had to be out of the house when they were viewing it. So last week, we invited them to our home, and before they came, Kent and I prayed, and our prayer was that we would be love, that we would shine the light of Jesus, and that somehow that would, you know, that would get through, you know? So that's what we prayed. And God took our little, innocent, tiny little prayer, we didn't even really know how to pray, and he anointed it so rich that we were overwhelmed when they came to our house, they got out of the car and they put on their masks. And the first thing we said was, you don't need to wear that unless you feel you want to. But don't feel like you have to for us. So they didn't. And when they looked through our house and when we were able to share with them the details of our home, because realtors don't know the details of our home, when we were able to share with them the things that we've done, the, the, the um, upgrades that we've done and the way that my husband has taken care of the home, in the minutest of detail, because that's what he does. And we were able to share, it just came out. We were able to share about our marriage. We were able to share about our children that we brought up in this home. We were able to share about the joys, a lot of the joys in this home. We were able to share about my healing. We were able to share about our ministry. When they left, they were there a long time, probably an hour and a half, two hours. When they left, this girl, the 21-year-old girl, she said, can I hug you? And she wrapped her arms around me, and I wrapped my arms around her, and it was a love-filled, complete God hug. I mean, it was just absolutely beautiful. And then she learned, because we talked a lot, that Kent and I are going to live for a few months with his mother until our home is finished, and it's in the same sub. So I said, yep, we'll be walking. I walk in the morning, so I'll be walking by and, you know, saying hi. And she said, oh, you need to stop. Have coffee with us. We'll have you over for dinner. And the whole, I mean, the whole atmosphere changed. So then I went to God, of course, and it was like, God, your way, your ways are so much higher than my ways. Your plans, your purposes are so much greater than mine. It would be easy for a Christian family to walk in and soak up all that goodness. But for a, a family that probably doesn't know Jesus, they're walking into my home. And I guarantee you the anointing of the Holy Spirit is thick in our home. And they have that benefit. 
I'm going to be able to have a relationship with them at least for a few months, it looks like, while we live in the neighborhood. And I'm just praying that God will use it to show them how amazing God is. That's an example of the royal law of love. God can work through us in any situation, in any setting, in any realm of influence that we're in. But only if we let him. Only if, only if we use our free will to make that choice. Here's another truth about, or another principle about this spiritual law, and that is that God's love never fails. This is a Corinthian scripture. We've all read this scripture many, many times. It's usually at people's weddings. I'm going to read it from um, the Amplified Version. And as I'm reading it, whenever I use the word love, think about God's love in us. Because that's what it's referring to. Love endures with patience and serenity. Love is kind and thoughtful and is not jealous or envious. Love does not brag and is not proud or arrogant. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It is not provoked or overly sensitive and easily angered. It does not take into account a wrong endured. It does not rejoice at injustice, but rejoices when the truth, when right and truth prevail. Love bears all things, regardless of what comes. Believes all things, looking for the best in each one hopes all things, remaining steadfast during difficult times, and endures all things without weakening. Love never fails. So we may have natural giftings. We may have um, abilities. We may even have works that we do that are good. But without love, they're all nothing. With love, they never fail. So we were talking, um, Sarah and I were talking before the meeting, and she was telling about a teaching that has really deeply impacted her, and we were talking about in my background in teaching and, and, and the, the anointing that God has gifted me now to teach his word. And, and the bottom line is, that does nothing without love. I want to do part B of my neighbor's story, my new, or my new buyer's story. Part B has to do with love and what it looks like manifest. That same day that our buyers came to our home and we had that experience, that anointed experience of, show, of showing God's love, something happened, and I'm not going to give you the exact details, but something happened that was very negative. And it had to do with um, the contract that we signed and realtor to realtor, there was something that was not, um, um, what's the word? Uh, it wasn't shared. It wasn't disclosed. It wasn't disclosed from their realtor to our realtor, but it was put in the contract unknowingly. We didn't know it was in there. And we signed it, and it, it, we found out that night when the people are there. This is what we didn't do. We didn't get angry. We didn't. Um, blow up. And it was a big deal. It was worth probably a $20,000 loss for us. Um, so it was a big deal. And we just, it was like, didn't panic. It was like, God, you'll take care of it. You take care of everything. We, just, we continued to love them. We continued to smile. 
And before that evening was over, it was all resolved, and that thing was taken out of the contract, and we re-signed it. But I believe that the love of God that never fails, instead of being easily angered or overly sensitive or whatever in the world we typically would be, the humanness, we have the Holy Spirit and the law of love that we have, uh, uh, with relationship with God, I didn't try not to get angry. That's just what happened because that's what happens when, you're, when that's in there. It comes out. Here's the last point I want to make. Faith works through love. Galatians chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. But the Holy Spirit convinces us that we have received by faith the glorious righteousness of the anointed one. The Holy Spirit stirs in our hearts. We respond to the Holy Spirit moving. And our heart responds that we have received by faith this glorious inheritance of the anointed one. When you are placed into the anointed one and joined to him, circumcision and religious obligations can benefit you nothing. All that matters now is living in the faith that is activated and brought to perfection by love. So here's the bottom line. Our faith is activated through this love. Through this God love, faith arises. Faith is operative. That word um, activated is the Greek word E-N-E-R-G-E-S. It's where our word energy comes from. When this love of God is raises up, there is power that goes with it. And faith comes alive. I believe that's one of the reasons why the compassion of Jesus was so always, always was followed with a healing. When it talks about Jesus' compassion, reaching out with compassion, healing happened. There's a connection from the heart of God to the hand of God. And faith rises. And that's what our part is in receiving, is faith. The work is done. It's not about the law. It's not about religious obligations. It's not about works. It's about faith that's activated by this love of God. Again, that's why I believe it's so important in this ministry to, to manifest love. It's a healing class, but the love of God builds up faith to receive. And that leads me to the second law we're going to talk about tonight, which is the law of faith. Love activates faith. So let's talk about another spiritual law. Spiritual laws are, are constant. They're steadfast. They always work if our free will is in agreement with them. Here's the scripture that talks about the law of faith. Romans um, chapter 3, verse 27 and 28. I'm going to read it from two different translations. Where is the boasting then? It is, ex is it excluded? Or I'm sorry, let me start again. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. 
Now, this is a little hard to understand because I took it out of this, this scripture, but let me explain a little bit. The, the second verse says that a man is justified by faith. It has nothing to do with works. So the first scripture is saying, can we boast that I did it, that, that my works caused me to receive my salvation or my justification? No, 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 no. That is not it. The way that we receive is by the law of faith, the spiritual law of faith. Jesus did his part. He paid the price. He was the sacrificial lamb. That part's done. It's the potential for all. But to receive it, we need to allow that law of faith to come alive and to work for us. Here's the same scripture from the Passion Translation. Where then is there room for boasting? Do our works bring God's acceptance? Not at all. It was not our works of keeping the law, but our faith in his finished work that makes us right with God. So it's not our works of keeping the law. It's his works, his finished works. So our conclusion is this. God's wonderful declaration that we are righteous in his eyes can only come when we put our faith in Christ and not in keeping the law. So we're going to look at that law of faith. And we're going to look specifically, like this scripture is talking about, we're going to look at salvation. Because if we understand how the law of faith works in receiving salvation, then the truth is that the law of faith works in every other promise the same way. In fact, every other promise is part of the law of salvation. Healing is part of salvation. But we're just going to separate it out for just a minute. Because everybody, every Christian, pretty much every Christian, believes in salvation. That if you believe, if you ask Jesus to come into your heart, that you'll be saved. It's easy. And then your life, your amazing completeness of life begins. So if we understand how the law of faith works in receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then we can see how it works in every other situation of life. So, we're going to go to Romans 10, verses 8 and 10. This is one of the most famous scriptures when it comes to the law of faith and walking from death into life, from walking from darkness into light, from walking from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. I remember when Jenny brought me this scripture. It was on February 19th, 2002. It was that day when she said, Cindy, are you saved? And my answer was, I think so. I go to church every Sunday. I'm a good person. I don't have any serious sin in my life. I've been bringing up my kids in the church. I've even taught in a parochial school. Yeah, I think I'm saved. Do you hear that? Works, merit, everything except the law of faith. Jenny didn't counter me. She didn't debate. She said, do you want to be sure? I had a death sentence. I wanted to be sure. So she went to her teacher's desk in the public school, got her Bible, and she opened to this scripture. And she said, read this out loud. And I read, 
In fact, it says, the message is very close at hand. It's on your lips and in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. And here's that message of faith. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. That scripture I had never read. I didn't know there was a scripture about being saved. I had heard people all over the place talking about being saved. I thought it was some, I don't know, cult or something. I didn't know that's what God said in his word. Jenny showed it to me. That's the first thing she showed me. I didn't understand all of what it meant, but I knew it said, this is what you need to do to be saved. And I wanted everything God had for me. So what we're going to do now is we're going to look at this law of faith and how the, it operates, how the principles of the law of faith operate in this scripture, receiving salvation. I'm going to take it step by step. So here's the first step. The word is near to all. It says here, the message is very close at hand. So the word is near to all, and salvation has already been provided for. The work is done. So let's look at that for a second. When Jesus had already raised from the dead, and he was getting ready to ascend to heaven to be seated at the right hand of God, he spoke and he said, don't go out into the world yet. Wait. You need the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send the promise. And after you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, then you can go out and be a witness. You can start here in this town and then go out to the next region, Jerusalem, and then to Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And that is what has happened. Those people that were around Jesus started to take the message out. And today, that message is near at hand. Today, the word is all over the world. This is my passion. That's why that camera's on right now. It's not about me. It's about the word. It's about getting the word out to as many people as we can get it out to. That word, when it's close at hand, has the finished work to back it up. Jesus did his part. But in order for us to receive what he did, we need to know what he did. And that's the good news. That's the gospel. So that's the first step. The second step is to establish the authority that Jesus is king. Remember, a kingdom has a king. Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. So we need to know that. So that's the next step. And that's kind of a head knowledge kind of thing. Okay, I, because we can't understand it. That's probably impossible to understand. But we can at least get it up here and say, okay, I, I, I choose to put it in here. Jesus is king. Jesus is in authority. Jesus is king of this kingdom of God. And then comes the heart. In order to be saved, 
in order for that law of faith to be activated so that we become subjects of King Jesus. It says in the scripture that we must believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Belief in the heart, the very center of your heart is what's required. It's not a head thing, it's a heart thing. We need to believe, we must believe in our heart that Jesus was raised from the dead. I am gonna emphasize this, guys, because this is something that I have kind of um, uh, passed over. This truth that Jesus was raised from the dead, I've kind of passed over as I've ministered to people over the last 18 years. I, I talk to people about surrendering. I talk to people about letting go of control. I talk to people about um, God taking care of them, and they need God. They need a Savior. They need a healer. They need help. But I don't talk to them about believing that Jesus was raised from the dead. But this is the first message, one of the prime messages that the early church shared because it was necessary for a very important reason. Jesus' resurrection from the dead was a conclusive demonstration that he was the son of the living God. In order to believe that he's the son of God, we need to see evidence. Moses was a great man, but he wasn't raised from the dead. David was a great king, but he wasn't raised from the dead. Jesus predicted that he would be raised from the dead. He predicted, he prophesied many, many times. He spread the word, the word went forth. They didn't understand it, but he shared that this is what would happen and then it did happen. And that message was crucial for people to believe in Jesus. So it is crucial for us to believe. It is one of the crucial um, components, the foundation of our faith that Jesus was raised from the dead. Jesus' resurrection was conclusive proof that his shed blood had the necessary power to save lost men from their sins. He was the sacrificial lamb. If he hadn't raised from the dead, we wouldn't have the evidence that the sacrifice was finished. We wouldn't have the understanding. But Jesus also predicted that his blood would save us from sin. I'm going to read the scripture right now. This is from Matthew 26. Matthew 26. This is the Last Supper. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new and better covenant, which ratifies the agreement and is being poured out for many as a substitutionary atonement for the forgiveness of sins. Now that's the Amplified because I wanted to make it as clear as I could possibly make it as I was sharing this with you. Jesus said, my blood will be shed, my body will be broken, and my blood will be shed. The purpose of my blood being shed is for remission of sin. So that sin will be forgiven forever. They knew the old covenant. Jesus said, I'm, I'm initiating a, 
I'm ratifying a better covenant through my blood. They knew blood had to be shed for sin to be um, taken care of. But Jesus' blood finished it once and for all. So the, the, the truth about Jesus dying and being resurrected, the truth that his blood was shed for the forgiveness of sin, in order for this law of faith to result in our salvation, we need to know that in our heart. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 through 8. I'm still focusing on the incredible importance of believing that Jesus raised from the dead. This is Paul. He says, dear friends, let me give you clearly the heart of the gospel. This is the heart, guys. We can't wash over this. We can't pass over this truth. Paul said, let me clearly give you the heart of the gospel that I preached to you, the good news that you have heartily received and on which you stand. For it is through the revelation of the gospel that you are being saved. If you fasten your life firmly to the message I've taught you, unless you have believed in vain. For I have shared with you what I have received and what is of utmost importance. And here's the key. Here's this truth. The Messiah died for our sins, fulfilling the prophecies of the scriptures. We go to the next slide, honey. He was buried in a tomb and was raised from the dead after three days as foretold in the scriptures. Then he appeared to Peter the rock and to the 12 apostles. He also appeared to more than 500 of his followers at the same time, most of whom are still alive as I write this, though a few have passed away. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, he appeared in front of me, like one born prematurely ripped from the womb. Paul says that because he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was completely in the, the law, the letter of the law. He was persecuting Christians until Jesus woke him up on the road to Damascus and completely changed his life radically. But the truth is that this concept that Jesus was raised from the dead wasn't only spoken, it was the evidence was given of who saw him raised from the dead. And it lists all of the different peoples the apostles, the individuals, it doesn't even say the women, the women also saw him raised from the dead, the 500, but that's evidence that he was raised from the dead. The next piece of the law of faith is a revelation that we need a savior. A revelation that Jesus came to do all that and we need a savior. Before I knew Jesus, I was a sinner. I needed a savior. When I asked Jesus to come into my life, the component that I was seeking was healing. It wasn't forgiveness, it was healing. It wasn't being transferred from dark to light. It was healing. Healing is part of salvation. I needed a healer. I had revelation that I needed a healer. And that was what inspired me to ask Jesus into my heart. 
when Jenny told me he was a healer. I said, I need him. And for the first time in my life, I completely, my, the law of faith came, to, came alive. It was powerful when I gave my life to Jesus. So there needs to be a revelation of salvation. And then a confession with the mouth. Can you go back to the Roman scripture count? Um, oh, you're already there. You're ahead of me. Thank you, honey. If you believe in your heart, you will be saved. And then verse 10, for it is by believing in your heart that you're remade right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith, confessing with your mouth, openly declaring your faith that you are saved. So a confession must be made with a mouth. I believe, therefore I speak. And when those components, this is the law of faith, friends, when those components are in place, salvation is the result. There are no exceptions. You don't need to worry if it took. If you have the word presented to you, if you acknowledge Jesus is king, he's the king of this kingdom, if you believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, that he died for your sins, if you confess with your mouth, you will be saved. That word saved is used twice. It's two different Greek words. The first Greek word is the word sozo. That word does not just mean forgiven. It does not just mean transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. It does mean those things. But it also means to save, to deliver, to protect, to heal, to preserve, and to be made whole. That's all part of the package. With no exceptions. And the second word saved is the word soteria. It's very similar. It means to save, to preserve, to heal, to rescue, to deliver. That's good news. But the problem is people don't know that. So they think salvation just means forgiveness of sin and eternal life. The law of faith, the same law of faith, applying the steps of the law of faith results in the fullness of salvation, including healing. But, but it's important that we know. That's why I talk about healing being a part of salvation all the time. So let's look at Romans 10, 17. This is the scripture that talks about faith. We're talking about the law of faith right now. Faith, then, is birthed in a heart that responds to God's anointed utterance of the anointed one. Because this law of faith works for every aspect of your life. Faith is birthed in a heart that responds to God's anointed message of Jesus, of his anointed one. There's two ways to hear. There's natural hearing, that's your ears. That's what you're doing right now, you're listening. You're using your ears. But there's also spiritual hearing. Spiritual hearing is a heart that responds to God's anointed word. I want to read this to you. Faith 
is the fruit of revelation. When your heart is stirred, when the Holy Spirit woos you with his living word, with that anointed word, faith is birthed. Spiritual hearing is the source of faith. So I'm going to share one more thing, and then we're going to pray. And this is a Barry Bennett example. It's really, it's, it's a good one. He said, guys, this is so easy. This law of faith that we can agree with, that we can, um, uh, um, because of our free will, choose to act, just like we did when we prayed for our salvation, whenever that was in your life. He said, it's like dominoes. And I'm not talking the number game. I'm talking the fun game that kids play where they stack them all up and knock the first one over and they all topple over. He said, the law of faith is like dominoes. It's simple. It's fun. And it always works. So here are the dominoes. First domino. You hear a word from God in your heart. I remember when Jenny said, Cindy, Jesus paid for your healing the same time that he paid for your forgiveness of sins. Let me tell you, my heart responded. That was really good news. I had a death sentence. I didn't understand how it worked or what or anything. I didn't even know if it was actually true. But my heart responded. So that's domino number one. Domino number two, faith is birthed and sees the unseen. Now there's a whole lot between the first step and the second step. But we're talking the, the domino thing. So when faith is, when your heart responds, you see something that you hadn't seen before. So when I was diagnosed with cancer, I saw death. I saw what the doctor told me. But when Jenny told me that Jesus heals today, I had something else to see. Listen to this scripture. 2 Corinthians 4, 18. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but of the things which are unseen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. So the second domino is you start to see from the eternal perspective instead of from the natural perspective. You start to see from what the word says instead of what the doctor says or what your body says. That's the second domino. The third domino, faith speaks what it believes. 2 Corinthians 4.13, we have the same spirit of faith that is described in the scriptures when it says, first I believed, then I spoke in faith. So we also first believe and then speak in faith, just like the prayer of salvation. Believe it in our heart, speak it with our mouth. Out of your heart, your mouth speaks. The fourth domino, faith acts. Faith's nature is to speak and act. Think about Hebrews chapter 11. The whole chapter is about people walking in faith, acting in faith, taking steps of faith. And then the fifth domino, faith receives. And the interesting thing is that faith receives before it's manifest. Let me read the scripture to you, Mark eleven twenty four. This is the reason I urge you to boldly believe for whatever you ask for in prayer. Believe that you have received it, and then it will be yours. 
Believe that you have received it. Your heart responds. The word is given. Your heart responds. You speak it. You act it. You receive it. And then you'll, then it will manifest. So believing and receiving comes before the manifestation. That is the law of faith. There are no exceptions. You receive salvation. The same is true for every promise in the word of God. That's the law of faith. Should you choose to live under the government of Jesus, he's my king, I'm a subject. Should you choose to live in that government, it is your possession, it is your inheritance. And it applies to healing the same way that it applies to salvation. The law of faith. So Father, I pray right now, God, I pray that this law of faith that that you've been stirring as we read what the Bible says about it. God, that we simply apply it in our lives. That our heart is stirred. Our heart responds, God. I pray for responsive hearts right now. I pray for hearts that are not calloused. I pray for hearts that are not hardened. I pray for hearts that are not focused on the problem, but rather are turned to you. And I pray, Father God, that as our heart responds, that something rises up in us. And that you love us to life the same way, God, that you want us to love others to life. You love us to life. You love us to health. You love us to, to um, the fullness that you have planned for us. And we receive. I pray for miracles. I pray for signs. I pray for wonders. I pray for manifestation, God, of your great grace everywhere we look. In this season, God, that we're living in, in this season of crisis, in this season of, of fear and everything that's going on out there in the world, I pray, Father, for miracles, signs, and wonders to wake us up in this world and to show us that you are king, you are Lord, you are the, the Lord of the United States of America. You are the Lord of us, of human beings. I give you lordship, God. You are my king. May we apply, Lord, your spiritual laws. And may they lift us up above the natural law. May we supersede the natural law with your amazing spiritual laws of grace. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So the law, the royal law of love and the law of faith. Yeah. Next week we're going to talk about the law of sin and death and the law of the spirit of life. Amen.